In the year 1990, the New York City authorities declared the wasteland known as the South Bronx to be a high-risk area. There would be no further attempt to restore law and order to that notorious borough. The South Bronx had long since been controlled by gangs with such names as the Riders, Scavengers, Ironmen, Tigers, and Sharks. To venture without permission into the territory of a rival power was to risk war. War with no holds barred. War to the death. Only one man had anything to gain from such a war. Only one man could prevent it. Only one man. 1990, the Bronx Warriors. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. If a rock concert can have drum solos, why doesn't a movie ever have a drum solo? Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. Is this city, you see? In Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools. But I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration or... You study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to the- NOW GO! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! Could you please stop that, Virginia? There's plenty of time. I'm, I'll, I'll get J.K. Simmons in to teach you. I promise. I I don't know, man. I just think like negotiations would go a lot smoother without that stressful drumming playing. 
Yeah. Well, I'm trying to, to work on that. <laughs> Don't. me out, man. Do not upset me, or I'll have Virginia introduce you to her death on nails. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I know about those now. Yes. So, did you watch the film? Oh, I watched the film. I watched the hell out of this film. <laughs> Although, I, I, I think it should more accurately be referred to as 1990 The Long Island City Warriors. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about the Bronx to know if they were really filming in the Bronx, but I don't, I didn't, it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think they had a few real good, decent location shots that said New York City, and the rest of them were, could be a factory in yeah. Milwaukee, for all we know. <laughs> well, I, I recognize, I mean, the opening scene is shot on the Queensboro Bridge. Yes, so it's and, and all the times they they have those shots at the, at the shore. Yeah, you would not get that skyline. That's that's all Long Island City. You cannot get that skyline from the Bronx. The Bronx is uptown, as we all know, and so you wouldn't get that same exact skyline. So a lot of this was shot here in Queens. So we call bullshit on you. Oh, so 19, people from 19, the Bronx 19. must really hate this movie. Not as much as they hate Rumble from the Bronx. <laughs> Where was that I filmed? Had a, that was filmed in Vancouver. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you can tell because there are mountains in the skyline. Hey, at least this one's got authentic dubbed-in accents. Yeah, and, and some... Uh, shots of the World Trade Center, which is kind of weird. Always now. weird when that happens, yeah, in any of the New York, especially New York movies that are set in the apocalyptic future. Yeah, well, it's just like, well, we got that one wrong. Oh, they got a lot wrong. The main reason I, I assigned this, well, first off, it's like I have fond memories of the seeing the poster in the subway and somebody wrote... This is such a New York thing. There used to be a, a radio station called WDRE. It was out of Long Island, and you could maybe get the signal if you really worked hard, because it was like smack between two other stations, and they kind of overlapped. And one of their uh, sponsors was Honda of uh, Mineola. And their... their um, um, their mascots were three salesmen called Lovable Phil, Adam, and Nick. And somebody spent a lot of time running around writing Lovable Phil, Adam, and Nick underneath Trash's face. <laughs> so, but of course the thing is, I wanted to, one of the, th the things I think we've referred to in the past is that Italy never met a genre it didn't like to rip off. Oh no. And in this film, he tries. He hit uh, Enzio Cagliari. Has can't even decide which genre he wants to rip off. Hey, why decide? Why why, why choose? I mean, do, do I want to rip off George Miller, or do I want to rip off Walter Hill, or do I want to rip off John Carpenter? What the hell? 
Why not a little? I mean, those are all good ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny because this is always thrown into the category of Road Warrior ripoffs, but it's more of a Warriors ripoff. It's a Warriors ripoff with a, with a great big helping of Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, the music is definitely feels John Carpentery. Yeah. And, and it's definitely, I mean, Escape from New York had that same, except Escape from New York was mostly nighttime, but it was basically yeah. the same thing. It was like, we can't really, really film in New York. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we just got to get a few few New Yorky things, and then it's like sound stages, and this one looks like abandoned factories. Yeah. Takes place well, in like some I said, of the well. Well, like I said, I can definitely identify that some of this was shot in New York because I recognize the locations. Well, that time period, there was definitely enough, like, abandoned, decrepit buildings in New York City to film in, if you, if you really wanted to. Yeah. So, uh, we should mention, I think we should mention the name of the film we're discussing, which is, uh, is 1990 The Bronx Warrior, Enzio Cagliari's first in a, ser- in a trilogy of movies about the warrior trash played by... Oh, there's three of them? There's oh three of them. Oh my god, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna watch all three of them. This... I love this. I loved it. It was terrible. <laughs> In all the perfect ways. It was colorful. Mm-hmm. Um, you got... It, 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 the, the only thing about Trash is he's such an awful actor. Yeah. But he looks he looks like Paul Stanley. He looks the part. But it's funny because he's supposed to be like, I guess, like a t- tough metal sort of guy. But, you know, I mean, he looks, you know, some there, there, it never that look never comes off as truly tough because there's a little Frankenfurter in it, too. You know, it's baked in. <laughs> You know, and so it's it's when when the battles go on, he's like good at like well, he's good enough at the battles, but he reminds me just the way his character looks and his shot and stuff. It it makes me almost feel like he was the 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 filmmaker. You know, it, it reminds me of movies where the guys like I've written the movie where I'm the yeah. hero and I like look like Paul Stanley. And I and I've got my look down. And I practice my pout in the mirror, and and you know walking on these high heels, and and fighting with my poker stick and the high heels, but <laughs> I can't act my way out of a paper bag. But it's my problem movie. Him, I'm the director. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with him is that we're supposed to take him as very Black Sabbath, but he's actually very lover boy. Yes, yes, he is working for the weekend for sure. Yes. <laughs> Uh, funny that you mentioned that that though, because Enzo Enzo G. Castieri, who directed this, does appear in the movie as the vice president. Oh, okay. Oh, so, uh, and I I'm pre- I'm not sure, but I think that the female lead, uh, Stephanie Giorami is the daughter of a uh, a daughter of another Italian director. Okay. Well, she's no um, she's no Asia Argento. <laughs> That's for sure. My first thought, when they mentioned in the movie that, that she's like going to be 18 in a few days, I said no. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was trying... The romantic scenes between her and Trash, <laughs> the one that they had outside, where I don't know if the director... I don't know if it's a dubbing thing or if it was a director thing where, or the, the acting thing, but they were just doing these dramatic pauses in between lines but just sort of randomly they would yeah. they would pause i guess to make it more you know heated or dramatic and it was it was terrible it, 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 while i was watching it i was like there's the, and and i don't know i i don't know i didn't see one on youtube but i would imagine there's got to be an mst K3000 on this movie. To the best of my knowledge, they've never done this. Wow. They must be saving it because yes. it's just ripe for oh. something like that. You know, the, the I mean, it's great because they, they spent that, you know, what little money they had actor-wise on, on the fun character actors and they all chew their 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 scenery perfectly, you know. Yes. But, uh, yeah, and and like Ice is, a, Ice is a little better actor, but he's still like poor man's Don Johnson. Vic Morrow's a riot in this. Oh, Vic Morrow's a riot. Fred Williamson is ha obviously having fun with his heroic mustache. <laughs> it works. It works for him. Oh, it gives, him, it say, gives him a little swashbuckle. I got. I was very confused because, of course, Fred Williamson's nickname when he was playing in the NFL was the Hammer. So it's kind of confusing that he's playing a character named Ogre in a film where the villain is named Hammer. Yeah, and and you know what's funny is the the character named Ham Hammer looks more like an ogre, yeah. and the character named Ogre looks more like a hammer. There's nothing very ogre ogrely like of Fred. Will Fred Williamson is kind of. You get the impression he's the, the thinking man of the whole yeah. of all the different tribes in the Bronx. You know, he's well, the, it's obviously meant to be Isaac Hayes' King of New York. Yes, but he's more. But he's he's more. Um, he, he's more of a good guy. You know, he's more of a. He's more. He's got more. For lack of a better phrase, positive energy about him. You know, he's. He's sort of. He's sort of laughing and enjoying him. He, he's got a little Errol Flynn going there you know oh he's um, got a he's got a jazz pianist <laughs> yes he, he appreciates the it, finer it's hard. things it is hard to be he, evil when you have a jazz pianist and he's got the pimp cars but he does not have the candelabras no mounted no he on doesn't. the outside of them because that costs extra <laughs> yeah that costs much more uh, and this is another thing about these kinds of movies that I've always wondered and you know this is something that you shouldn't be a problem in lower budget films as opposed to higher budget films but when you have okay these people living in post apocalypse time okay say you have a road warrior movie those guys are dirty grubby and you know their, their clothes are, are worn in and stuff and uh, they have no problem with the scenes, the sets in here, because the sets are like abandoned buildings and they're, you know, they're decrepit. Everybody's outfits are, are beautiful. 
and I'm guessing maybe that may might be like if they thought it through that much, like the you know. And looks like she stepped out of the Urban Outfitters catalog. Yes, her perm is like intact through the whole movie, and uh, and uh, yeah, she you know I mean yeah she definitely could have suffered from you know it, they could have at least put her in a t-shirt or so you know like yeah. she could have at least started slumming it a little bit since she was enjoying herself so much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, everybody's outfits are like right out of wardrobe, and uh, and it would seem like on a low budget movie, like making stuff dirty and decrepit would be like one of the the easiest things to do on a set. You know, one of the least budget taxing things to do. But it would also like it probably would have ruined a lot of the great color schemes. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. It's on. just it's it's a very stylized film yeah. uh i i can't I, I have to admit i just start i just burst out in laughter when the uh road show of clockwork orange showed up about midway through yes and 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 it's like well you know it was it wasn't even midway through that i was like okay this is not taking itself seriously you know this mm-hmm. or, or even it's 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 beyond not taking itself seriously so that's when I stopped questioning every everybody being dressed nicely. That's just sort of a a pet peeve of of mine. The one guy who was in charge of the 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 roller gang, yeah, like a oh, character oh. out of Mortal Kombat or something with his outfit. You know what he actually? You know what he reminded me of? The Shogun of Harlem. Ah, oh, okay. In the Last Dragon. We were so, at a con I... and we ran into the guy who played. The lead in the Last Dragon, Otaimak. Yeah, he is like, he is one of those miracle people, who is mm-hmm. like, he looks like he's aged about maybe five years since the Last Dragon. It's it's it was uncanny. We just sort of turned a corner and we're like, that guy looks like the guy from the Last Dragon, but there's no way that, <laughs> and it sure enough was. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. All that last dragon money has been, I guess, buying him some virgin blood or something. <laughs> some of that, some of that youth cream yes. that Dick Clark used to use. <laughs> yes, that's a nice way to put it. But it was probably more like, um, it was probably more like um, society. Mm-hmm. It was probably closer to the shunt. Yeah. <laughs> and. And another tasteless thing I noticed is Vic Morrow gets a helicopter line Yeah In the movie Well remember when they were shooting this It wasn't like Vic Morrow was intending to be decapitated by a helicopter I hope not anyway (laughs) But uh Apparently by the way uh, Mark Gregory Real name Marco DiGregario Disappeared After 1989 Now who is he? That's trash. What the who? That's trash. Oh, trash. Yes, Mark Gregory played trash. And he went into hiding, or just uh... he just disappeared from the from public. <laughs> the trivia on IMDb, and one of the pieces of trivia is this film is set in 1990. A uh, duh. He's probably building his army. 
in the well yeah. lit, in the well lit sewers of <laughs> the Bronx, of the Bronx, and and you know of course that that this film is going to be great when it when the uh, the title. Um, Stunts by the, the the hard man stunt team and the Hell's Angels. <laughs> the Hell's Angels. I forgot about that. That's right. <laughs> that opens up all sorts of interesting things because working with the Hell's Angels on a on a movie is is usually like a, can get pretty hairy. Yeah. So to so to speak, but yeah, and that was like. I mean, there was a time period when that was that was fairly common, but the, the, you know that the Hell's Angels that must have been like the first work the Hell's Angels got in a movie in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the Italians were like, I don't know, who can do motorcycle stunts? And somebody was just like, <coughs> Oh, call up the Hell's Angels. Hey, <laughs> Hell's yeah. Oh, oh, I, I have Hell's confirmation okay. that that Stephanie Sophia Goliami, it's actually Enzio Castellari's uh, daughter, so. She is the daughter of a Italian filmmaker. Okay. That explains it. <laughs> right. Because she's not especially beautiful or anything. Yeah. Then again, it's... in the 80s, that was sort of what a good-looking lead lady was like. She's, so, she, I, I, she's sort of like a cut-rate version of... Um, of uh, What's her name from... Um... um you look like Ann Archer a little bit to me. Oh, what, what, why can't I think of that? John, it's a John Carpenter movie. Uh, it, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, Kim, not Kim could travel. Yeah, isn't it? Kim, Kim, Is it Kate Capshaw? No, it's. I think it's Kim Cattrall. Who Kim Cattrall? Yes, yes, yes. She's kind of like a cut-rate Kim Cattrall. Something about Ice. Something about the way he looked too made me hate him. There. Uh, there were so many characters who look kind of, like there's that that one character who is like Trash's buddy who gets killed by ice. Yeah. I, the... Every time he showed up, I kept saying Freddie Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a band this uh, this crew would have made. It would have been like Queen and Kiss mixed yes. all in one. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Oh boy, this is this is just such a goofy ass movie. Another thing I love is when yeah. when the cops come in at the end. Mm-hmm. How many? I I I probably should have started counting. Mm-hmm. But how many uh, flamethrower to the face shots? <laughs> a <in>? lot. <laughs> I mean, that was just that is the... such a. It's like, well, the movie's over, but it's too happy. We have to kill everybody. <laughs> And Except for, of course, Trash, because we're going to be making a trilogy out of this, and he gets to do, uh, you know, a Shakespearean thing and drag his enemy out on his horse. Yeah, that was my last note. Was ending of this movie sure is a drag. Yes. That I love that ending too. That reminds me of Hammer movies, where it's just like it's over. <laughs> he starts <laughs> dragging him watching. down the Here road. Are the I'm expecting a couple more shots of him, like, you know, blow it out, and it's just like, boom, freeze frame. It's over. Credits roll. I love it when that happens. I, I almost expected him to, like, drag Hammer's corpse to the Manhattan Corporation. And... Right, Let's right. Let's be so. The Manhattan Corporation, yeah. Right. 
I was I was kind of hoping for a helicopter getting taken down, but I, you know, I should have known better because yeah. there's no way the budget was gonna go beyond just renting a helicopter for a day to hover. <laughs> yeah. Ah, so I mean, it, but this is a smorgasbord of of great. I mean, because we got Vic Morrow, we got Fred Williamson. Fred Williamson is having a ball. Although I, Vic I was Morrow is having a ball. But Vic Morrow. Vic Moore, he's probably thinking, this is my Marlon Brando moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, Fred, what surprised me about the about Williamson is that he allowed himself to be defeated on camera because notoriously, and he's, he will freely admit this, when he signed up for a movie, it was in his contract that he never got beat, he was always the hero, and he always got the girl. So I'm wondering what it was about this script that made him say, oh, I'll forgo that. Well, yeah, because, yeah, he doesn't really get – at least he gets to go out, though, like, yeah. in style. And and he was smart enough to know, like, well, since they're putting the flamethrowers to the face, I'm putting a cigarette in my mouth. <laughs> at least I'm going to get my cigarette yeah. lit. And a young – Jason Statham watches that and says, I'm going to use that in a movie once. <laughs> we love you, Jason Statham. Don't ever change. I, I think those guys should have been watching more more um, 1990 Bronx Warriors movies. I, I, think our, I, I think our action movies could use more of this. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, I, I'm thinking particularly of Crank, of the Crank films. Which are as crazy as this is. I have not seen the Crank movies yet. Okay. The Crank movies are in a subgenre I like to refer to as the video game movie. By that, of course, I don't mm -hmm. mean based on an actual video game. I mean that simulates kind of like... It's like watching feeling. someone play a game. It's like it's like you're playing a, a, the game. Um, and the Crank films are just bug-fuck crazy. And I love every minute of them. And um, there's also another film that I think we, we discussed briefly off off air uh, last time, uh, a film called Mayhem that just came out last year. Is that the one that was like completely first person? No, no, that was Hardcore Henry. Hardcore Henry, about. yes. Hardcore Henry, which is I th which is a way not to do a video game movie, if you ask me. But. Um, Mayhem was directed by Joe Lynch, who I hope one day will choose an experiment for you. Uh, I, I've extended his – and he, before you balk, he was in the same room several – for a long time with uh, the great and wonderful um, – how come I can't remember her name now? Bikini – bikini, Aztec Bikini Dance Girl from, from, from Dust Till Dawn. Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek. Oh, okay. Salma Hayek. He directed Salma Hayek in Everly, and it was, Everly is basically a big budget action film set almost entirely in a in a a room. Oh, like one it's room. One room. One room. It is very strange. It's basically uh, Salma Hayek plays this woman who is kidnapped by this drug lord. And is supposed to be his concubine. So he imprisons her in this room in this apartment building. And she somehow 
gets out and contacts the police and the the film itself is like the, the one night where he basically tells all of the, the the prostitutes and drug dealers and stuff that work for him if you kill this bitch you get a lot of money it's it sounds like it's got a little warriors to it too yeah oh but yeah because there's like a, a an assassin who ke- who keeps a uh, a masochistic slave in a cage that he drags around with him everywhere. It's it's a very strange film. But his next film after Everly was called Mayhem. It was about um, there's a virus that leaks into the the uh, circulation system of an office building that causes you to, a very Cronenbergian virus that loses you to, causes you to lose all inhibition and gets makes you very aggressive and it's about this guy who has just been fired and this woman who who came looking uh, to get her uh, house get her house out of uh, out of hock going from the bottom floor to the top floor where the where the big own where the owner of the company is and fighting thing and, and you're know, just fighting their way through it and it's really fun and it's really high energy and uh i think that the image of samara weaving who plays the female lead wielding a nail gun is going to be an iconic shot in the history of horror of this year it's it sounds like it goes along with like judge dread and um mm-hmm. i can't the remember raid. the name of that other movie it was uh asian movie yeah, the the raid. The raid. That's it. Yeah, and yeah. the raid too. Yeah, where it's just basically sort of like making your way from the bottom to the top of a building. Mm-hmm. So you can throw Lita Henley off it <laughs> while on super slow drugs. I just I I just saw a scene from Dread that made me want to go back and watch that movie again. I saw it when it came out in the theater, and it was mm-hmm. wonderful. Oh yeah, I mean, especially for for some like because I, I I got into Judge Dredd at a very early age because a comic book shop on Fifty Fourth Street between Third Avenue and Second Avenue here in Manhattan uh, used to import two thousand AD. Ah, it used to import two thousand AD. Used to import Warrior, which is where Marvel Man and V for Vendetta. And all these other classic 80s uh, British science fiction um, comic strips were. So I got to read uh, Judge Dredd in its original. Yeah, me too. Four. So. Which was after- which was awesome. I mean, yeah. I, I, I regret. I know my friend. My friend still has those 2000 IDs. I sold them to him like an idiot. But Scott Gardner and I. When we were in high school, my dad was like, oh, you guys like comic books? There's a comic book auction in Syracuse. So he took us to our first comic mm-hmm. book auction, and uh, they had a mystery box. And my dad told me, he's like, bid on the mix- mystery box, the first mystery box, because it'll have good stuff in it, and then all the other ones will have crap in it. So I bid on the first mystery box, and nobody bid on it, and I got it for like $10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it had... All these autographed, like, um, 
X-Men and Teen Titans and the mm -hmm. like Teen the new Teen Titans number one and the minis all right. autographed and stuff. But on the bottom of it was just a stack of probably about 60 or 70 2000 ADs, which I'd never heard of. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting. And then when I got them home and started to read them, I was just like, where have you been all my life? <laughs> so, In England, apparently. Being so, read by a young Dave Duncan, but Duncan Jones. So well written and so yeah. beautifully illustrated and laid out in that, that format is awesome. The mm -hmm. sort of squared off rectangular newsprint. Uh, mm -hmm. huh. I ought to, I, I ought to keep tabs on that guy and see if he ever gets in financial need and try to get right. those back. <laughs> so you get those back. Yeah. Um, and of course I was kind of excited when judge dread came out in the nineties and then I wasn't. Yeah, I, I remember going to see... I had low expectations because I was like, how could they do... And, like, I remember walking out going, like, well, they got a couple things f that felt okay about it. But, you know, I mean, the minute the minute Sylvester Stallone had to take the mask off, it, yeah. was, it was all over, you know? Yeah, exactly. The minute he takes the... I mean, you don't make a movie about a character who's one of his signature things is he never is seen unmasked and unmask him and he's also one of those characters who's unbending so it's not yeah. like on the table that you can negotiate him taking his mask off so once he takes it off it's just like no you know this judge dread was getting a kiss from judge anderson and yeah. at the end and stuff you know and like having no well to be fair it's diane lane so i think he even did a wry smile at the end and it, yeah yeah but it's at like, least it no. had Mean Machine. I was hoping, you know, yeah. I, Mean Machine was one of my favorite characters. But, I have um, a lot of hope for Duncan Jones' adaptation of Rogue Trooper. Because unlike um, the guy who did the 90s, Judge Dredd, Duncan Jones grew up with 2080. So he's lived with those characters all his life. So I'm like, okay go to and you know i will defend his work i will even defend mute which i know a lot of people think it was garbage balls that's another one i have not seen it was a netflix original it was it's it, it's supposedly a a semi-sequel to moon oh it's set on earth at the same time that moon is going on up in up on the moon oh so it's a, it's a, a whole new set of characters, but it's the same. It's the same world. Same world. Yeah, I really liked Moon. I did as well. I did as well. I like Source Code a lot. I have not seen Warcraft because I don't like that kind of. I don't like fantasy. I don't like you know sword and sorcery type. Yeah, stuff. I I had no desire to see Warcraft, and then as it's been out for a while, I know a lot of people who like. And some of them like, some of them like, uh, for lack of a better word, normals. <laughs> yeah. And but even some people who really like genre stuff, who are even a bit on the cynical side, like me, really mm -hmm. like Warcraft. I, I was yeah. working with a guy. He watches it like once a month. <laughs> He's like, That's... it may be my favorite movie of all time. 
So I might have to check it out someday. Every every like scene I saw from it and trailer may, looked exactly like something I did not want to see. But yeah. there, there might be something going on there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there are certain directors, and Jones is one of them, and I really should have seen it in the theaters. But, like, Jones is one of them. James Wan is another one. That's what, That's the only reason I'm interested in, in Aquaman. In, okay, admittedly, that and Amber Heard in skin-tight green right. chain <laughs> <laughs> No man can resist the Amber Heardness of Amber Heard. <laughs> but, um... Anyway. But the thing is... This film is also very 2018. Yes. It's it's very... I mean, it's just... Oh. Yeah, now that you mention it, I could totally see it being... And, and what I liked about 2000 AD is, that was different from American comics is there was... Mm -hmm. It wasn't a total, like, depressing nihilism. Yeah. But it was just... There was a little bit of nihilism, and there was also, like... Uh, uh, sort of, un they were sort of unshackled from morality, whereas yeah. they didn't like a story didn't have to come out with the bad guy. You know, Judge Dredd. Yeah, the bad guys would get punished or whatever, but like Judge Dredd, there would be so many innocent bystanders just getting wiped out, and it was just sort of, uh, you know, stuff like that would just sort of get glossed over. Uh, well, a good example is in the judge, the new Judge Dredd movie. Yeah. The scene that reminded me of that was the um the the homeless guy that was sitting where the shield doors came down and when they were first walking in they tell him, you know, you know, get out of here, we're turning you in and then like two minutes later the shield doors come down and just crush the guy <laughs> crush the guy to nothing. That was a total beat from two thousand AD, you know, just yeah. something awful would happen as a comedy gag or just you know Char char they weren't afraid to kill off characters and it was it was great mm -hmm. and be Do you know beautifully drawn always mm -hmm. you know I just realized something the 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 roadshow of clockwork orange that I loved so much yes that gang is known as the iron men <laughs> uh, I can think of two things wrong with that that statement <laughs> the, <laughs> but the, then again the zombies are basic or are you know the shogun of harlem hockey team <laughs> they got there there's a I, I i i i sort of like figured they were a little bit like chuds too you know yeah because everybody who lives underground is crazy and animal like mm -hmm. and has bug eyes <laughs> oh, oh you talk about the scavenger oh the scavengers the scavengers. The scavengers are the ones that are in the, in the the medieval cosplay outfits. Yes. And with the with the that look, they look like they kind of like escaped from an earlier version of Carnival of Souls. Yes. Yeah. I don't think the the Italian writing of this movie, like I don't think they were very good at naming yeah. <laughs> any of the gangs or the characters. They they should have shuffled them around and probably until they got them got them to where they fit right because none of the characters fit there like like ice yeah like ice is ice should have been like 
uh, Henry Silva sort of guy with a yeah. l- skin ratty hatchet face, you know, who's who's icy and it said he looks like that uh, that best friend of Liam Neeson in the Taken films, played by Leland Orser. He looks like he looks like somebody. He looks like well, he has my hairdo from high school, yeah. and it's it's just <laughs> like he does not look like a tough guy. And I know he was supposed to be the smart character you know right. basically he was supposed to be like maybe like brain like harry dean stanton yeah from escape from new york but he just didn't come off as especially smart charismatic or tough he was just sort of like this guy he reminded me of in high school the the kid who was like wanted to be punk but he would just go yeah. and get get a jack an army jacket at the salvation army and get some mm-hmm. round glasses and he's, but he still had his feathered hair. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like every every gang it seemed in a in a movie in the in the seventies and the late sixties had the guy with the John Lennon glasses and the army coat. <coughs> I think after a Clockwork Orange, yeah, there was just yeah. that that time period where every where you couldn't have. You couldn't just have a gang. Each gang yeah. had. You couldn't just have somebody in leather jackets. They had to be themed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you got the biker gangs, and you got the vaguely martial arts influenced hockey teams, hockey skaters. <laughs> yeah, and, and the tap dancers, the Fossies. Yeah, the Fossies. <laughs> I kept thinking throughout that scene where they're, where they're like confronting before uh, Carla Brandt, who plays the who plays the leader that that unnamed leader character, who's like, I've always been fun. Trash. <laughs> <laughs> um, all I could think of was that line from Zoolander. Oh look, they're and only instead of oh look, they're breakdance fighting. I'm like, oh look, they're tap dance fighting. Yeah, somebody's gonna get jazz hand, jazz hands to death. <laughs> I wish real gangs would don't you know? I wish reality would take a take a cue from from fiction in this this case. I wish we had, I wish our street gangs were all different themes. You know, that would be so. It was live music at gang meetings yeah <laughs> yeah you know like like that scene oh that all was... the fun is getting blood out of being in a gang these days yes i mean and apparently that jazz drummer in that scene on the long island city docks and like i said folks most of this was shot in long island city i recognize the the locations i used to work in long island city um he keeps that his he keeps his camera on that jazz drummer a long time before anything starts. In that scene, apparently he wasn't even planned. He was just jamming there that day. And oh, just, really? I I like this. I, I, it's it's so, but it's just so surreal. You're sitting there. You're it works. watching. No, that's that's the most George Miller. Yeah. Part of the whole movie, right there. Just some little. And I thought I, I was thinking, 
is this drummer gonna be here because this is the beginning of a fight so do they only fight with like because yeah. because that would be that would be cool too that would be like the civil war you know you'd had you had drummers and stuff and the and the drums would keep people like marching and psyched up while they were fighting but nope it was just some some dude on the street yep, just, just to be just drumming a little background music to but but you know I mean the way that 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 scene is all laid out with the one guy that you know the one guy is that get, has the piece of wood yeah. <laughs> sticking out of his back dead by the side they, yeah and you don't know what really happened there you know and you, they they shoot over to him and then the drummer and then and everybody's pulling in yeah it's one of the more effective like it's surreal, surreal. I, parts you of and the I movie had to, yeah and with stuff like this the more surreal you throw in mm-hmm. the, the 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 better so you know that's that's like that's one of my favorite things about george miller is he doesn't let it stay too normal without you know i remember sitting with next to hair metal hero in uh fury road and just mm-hmm. he's just like breast milk <laughs> Breast milk is a factor in this. <laughs> there are guitars that shoot fire. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> they needed more guitars that shot fire in this film. Oh yeah, that would have been great. I mean, there are plenty of things shooting fire at the, in the end of the film. But <laughs> well, uh, you know, I mean, there were there were certain things, and they and that they thought out uh, about like, um, and the, that I didn't really think about till because I was just enjoying it as the the dumbness of the movie but like you know when the when the police come in with their with their flamethrowers and stuff I'm like oh yeah none of these guys really have guns cuz yeah cuz they're they're cut off there so that's why they're fighting with whips and mm-hmm. and phallic poker sticks and yeah and and what not what have you so that that was pretty realistic but uh I, I also noticed though that there wasn't enough like when, the, when they attacked the cops there were several people that like took some cops down I'm like all right dude now you got a flamethrower the the only person that took advantage of that was trash really when yeah and trash when it all started going down he spent most of his time hiding around the yeah of that wall looking like he was looking for the first like. The first chance to get the hell out of there. Exit could. stage left, even. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, wait, shouldn't this guy be fighting? He's one of the yeah. major warriors. He's supposed here. to be really tough. I mean, he has ogres. Even from that first scene where we see Fred Williamson, you get the impression he has ogres' respect. Right, right. And, and I, I want to know what the story was between between Trash and Witch, because there was something a little too chummy about that relationship. Oh no! They yeah, they built the beast with two backs. I think that was. That, I think that for, as soon as she was like, "Haven't seen you for a long time," uh, that's, yeah. that that pretty much said it all. Because of course, everybody wants a greasy, curly-haired leather man. <laughs> Well, just remember at that time period to a certain sub segment of uh, of of America that was that was alpha male that was alpha male. My friend Chuck, like his his sister, would have like had posters of trash if trash was like walking if trash was walking around downtown Carthage, she yeah. would have been just like trash. 
Uh, I've got pictures of him all over my room. <laughs> oh, boy. And they really went to some... Some of the improvised weapons were pretty fucking funny. I was trying to figure out... What it what what those things that the um the underground dwellers were the, the, they they looked like they had mailing tubes they looked like they were attacking yeah. people with mailing tubes <laughs> cement mailing tubes or something but they were but but somehow they, they and they weren't pointy mailing tubes they were blunt yeah. at the end they were flat at the end and they were and they yet somehow off screen they would manage to poke two or three of them through someone's torso mm-hmm. or like into their back. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea how that worked, but it well, was if there's cool. one thing you can take away from 1990, the Bronx Warriors, it's that never trust someone with a with a packing with a poster tube. No. <laughs> yeah, they look like they're just they're just going off to mail like a, a a floor plan for something or yeah. No, it's a deadly weapon. No, and I was wondering been... what happened with the scene. Now I can't remember the character's okay. name. The guy with the truck. Oh, 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 the one, the guy played by Christopher Connolly. Yeah. Uh, hot dog. Hot, hot dog. dog. He was another one that they should have, they, they should have used more because he was a decent actor. Yeah. But, uh, and more importantly, he's like on both, on the fence. He's on both sides of the conflict, so to speak. Right, right. And his, his, there were a lot of interesting things they could have developed that would have been neat like him and then there's a lot of things that like in another movie they would have developed that I didn't want to see that they just glossed over and I was so glad such <laughs> as uh, uh, the girlfriend they they had a little bit of it with ice you know of like you know right. what do you, oh you know Crash is getting soft with his his Manhattan his girl yeah. but they really didn't they could that could have been like you know they could have had a subplot of you know his his authority being subverted and stuff like that <laughs> but instead no they just like rolled with it and after a while she's playing piano and everybody yeah. had been bringing her a cake <laughs> everybody I, I want to know how Ogre found out it was her birthday <laughs> right right because that cake took some preparation Holy shit, it did. Can you... You need a big-ass oven to make a cake like that. I was looking at that going like, well, for one thing, I'm going, that's not a cake. That's a prop cake. That's some cardboard with some frosting on it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you would have needed like a four or five-foot-tall oven that that was probably about eight feet wide, you know, because the base on that, yeah. (laughs) Oh, anyway, back to hot dog. Okay, yes, there was a scene with dog. him in ice, and yeah. ice shoots him, mm-hmm. and then there's with it's... seemingly no effect. Mm-hmm. What the hell is? And then and then you know kick kicks him to death with his with his um oh with his knife his knife his boot. knife yeah. like um I'm trying to remember what the name of the Nazi lady was in the James Bond movie Irma Blunt yes Irma Blunt that's who you're thinking of played mm-hmm. by Lachalenia who from all it. All reports I've heard was a lovely human being. Oh, probably, yeah. <laughs> she was married to Kurt Vile. She reminds she I haven't seen that movie in so long, but she sort of reminded me of Rita Perlman could mm-hmm. do that role. But like I was wondering what did 
did he shoot him and this guy's just like armored or just super tough or did... I had wondered because if you remember it's hot dog who gives him that gun mm-hmm I had wondered oh. if Hot Dog had put blanks in the gun just in case. See, that's what I'm. I, I was thinking: is this something they blundered? Are we missing like a shot here, or are we missing like a piece of dialogue from somewhere, or something? Yeah, he could have said like, "Yeah, I put blanks in the gun, dummy," or mm-hmm. something, something like that. And then they they kept calling him a one leg one legged freak or something. So I figured, yeah, or peg legged yeah. freak, or get your peg, peg leg, leg over yeah. here. So I'm like, did he shoot him in the peg leg? If mm-hmm. so, that that's it. That's kind of two stupid. feet range. That's pretty yeah. bad. So that that scene, whatever hat was supposed to be happening in that scene, I couldn't quite figure out what they what they meant for it. Well, I always get the impression when watching these Italian films, these particular style of Italian films, that there's a little bit of improv involved. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of being a little kid when me and my friends would find an old factory or something and mm-hmm. go play, play in it, you know? it was. It, yeah. it, it's just sort of like, you know, the plot is basically like, okay, we're fighting our way from here to here. Right. And the dialogue certainly seems almost like overwrought, improvised mm-hmm. teenagers making up their dialogue and... Not being able to. <laughs> oh yes, such brilliant lines of dialogue. Virginia loved that line about the about the whip. Oh jeez, I actually wrote that down in my you notes. You wrote that. That's what I'm giving you the chance. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's why I'm giving. That's why I haven't said it yet. So <laughs> I know you wrote it down. And of of course, after a battle, Fred Williamson meets up with her and looks at her it's and goes, "You've been using yeah. your whip again." <laughs> And she goes, just like you taught me. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of question is that? Of course she's using her whip again. But then I realized, okay, that was that's like a little thing they have. Yeah. And then, of course, there's there's there are lines has immortal has you fuck. It could be a pile of shit out of someone's asshole. <laughs> Those lines, the only thing saving some of those lines are, are the are the Bronx accents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially coming out of trash, it reminds me, it, it, it takes me back to, uh, you know, Kiss, like, uh, the, the Phantom of the, Phantom of the, the uh, theme uh, park. The park the, yeah, Phantom of the, of the, of the park, yeah. Of the park, yes. You know, when whenever you had kiss and their their whole act would just break down the minute they would open their mouths and start talking. <laughs> Come on, Star Child. Oh man, that's a, and for a place that 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 literally is um, heralded by the by the sign, this shithole is the is the the home of the writers. That's an awfully well-kept shithole. Yes. Well, they take pride in their shitholes and their 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 outfits. I guess that's I'm all like, they they can't get guns in the Bronx, but like they like they they, they sealed off the garment district to make sure. Yeah, there's apparently a a a, a, a trash in vaudeville somewhere in the Grand Concourse. Well, I was gonna say whenever they locked down the Bronx, mm-hmm. maybe there was like a dance studio. 
and you know the, a bunch of like clothing designers who got trapped you know in their buildings and now they're just like be, the dance studio they're using them to trade them to fight and, yeah uh, and and they they got the rest of them as costumers you know working in a fat working under slave labor in a factory to because man you know i mean with the amount of fighting they do, you have to go if you want to keep clean new uniforms. You're you're gonna just have to chuck them every time you get little blood on them. Yeah, because because everything is pre- even through everything that 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 these people go through, and it's like uh, Freddie Mercury gets mangled. Yeah, they really they really put some effort into the gore makeup on his yeah. arm. That was actually that painful was I'm to like, look at. what exactly happened here? It looked like someone just grabbed his wrist and broke it. It was mm. it was really a, a a nice little piece of uh, gore makeup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but 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 you'll notice that his outfit was still pristine. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it had to go back to wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. The 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 yeah that that whole scene was overwrought, and I was just wait. I'm just like. Come on, please hurry up! You, I know you're gonna snap his neck. Yeah, we all know what's gonna happen, Gregory. Come on, <laughs> let's let's hurry it up because he's not doing much anything, giving you anything. He's he's in a lot of pain. Come on, let's yeah. let's wind this up real quick. Okay, there we go. Okay, yes. <laughs> now I got to go back to a birthday party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just killed one of my best friends. Now I'm going to go back to a birthday party. Life is cheap in the Bronx, man. <laughs> well, this was made in the 80s where life was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably going to be one of our one of our catchphrases for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I, I listened to Phase X-Men again this morning. So <laughs> it was made in the 70s when life was cheap. Well, you know the '80s, yeah, '80s New York City. You know, I mean, well, plausibly, don't get me wrong. plausibly, if you looked at '80s New York City and said, "Okay, you know, Escape from New York and Bronx Warriors weren't looking too implausible," you know. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. There, there were times where I had to go up to the Bronx. I, I had a, I had a girlfriend in college who lived up in the Bronx. So I, I've seen, I've seen how nasty that you know that place was in the 80s but still you know to give you nah, it, it's, it's it's an awfully kept you know it's like and they had like the one regulation bum yes <laughs> and he's pissing that's what every Andy's bum does pissing. Yeah, what every bum does, and he's like, "Where's my love letter?" Well, that's the thing is, bums, bums in these worlds, in like the Escape from New York world, they they have some sort of charmed existence. I don't know if it's yeah. the, the lucky life of a drunk, or whatever. But I was watching that bum, and I'm like, it's always a bum. Nobody ever takes a bum seriously. He's like, usually, like you would think a roving street gang would just like lop off his head. Yeah. You know, just when he starts going, hey, you know, you, you know, cursing them when they walk by. But it's just like, ah, it's old Harry, the pissy, pissing bum. And I love how Castellari, much like D'Urberville Martin did in a previous film that we covered, just lingers on that bum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Well, that the bum, 
like that's what I was another thing I was thinking is is the Bronx just gangs yeah There's, you know you would think there would be like a populace and then the gangs mm -hmm. run the populace but well, so far the only populace that... was a bum really but you get that impression from uh, the scene with Ogre where he's dictating the distribution of uh, uh, of resources to different neighborhoods. Yeah, but I w but I w it, it it wasn't clear whether it was just going to the the neighborhoods or just each neighborhood is a gang or you know yeah. or, or whatever. But but I also understand that like there's only so many people you can hire for a movie. You know, you're not doing yeah. crowd shots in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be a post-apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although it looked perfectly fine in Manhattan. <laughs> it looked pretty much like, yeah, it looked pretty much like uh, business as usual everywhere but the Bronx. And the Bronx was it could have been even, could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. As, as know, a matter I'll... of fact, like, if it was just the gangs, it seems like you could have probably snuck onto the Bronx and find your, found yourself probably a pretty nice piece of real estate, you know? Yeah. Hey, well, you know, it's once you get, when you get up near, uh, near like, Riverside, some nice-looking buildings up there. Mm -hmm. Or even some of the ni not nicer places, though, you know, or whatever. What, any kind of neighborhood would sort of be, uh, once, once it emptied out, you know, it's sort of the ultimate... Um, uh, you know, oh, always notice, <laughs> you always notice how in post-apocalyptic films, there's always one building that was under construction when the apocalypse happened. Yes. <laughs> well, there should be. <laughs> there's always one under construction anyway. Oh, yeah, but always one under. Well, well, if the apocalypse happened right now, the five boroughs would be nothing but buildings under construction. Right. Right. Um, I want to share, like I like I like to do. The taglines for this film. Okay. Uh, one of them is just they just use the um, the the crawl, the opening crawl from the film, which is in the year 1990. The Bronx is officially declared no man's land. The authorities give up all attempts to restore law and orders. From then on, the area is ruled by the Riders. <laughs> Which is basically, well, we have to, well, since we're ripping off Escape from New York, we have to have a crawl like that. It's, yeah, it's almost exactly presented mm -hmm. in the same way, you know, just like documentary style. Yeah, the only letter, thing we're missing. White letters on it, black background. Yeah. The only thing we're missing is Jamie Lee Curtis's voice. Yes. Well, I think um, in Escape from New York, they also did the fancy, like, it's a computer printing it yeah. out. So it went beep, 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 beep. 1980s style computer, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> the slowest computer ever. Uh, then we have one, which I think was ripped off from another film. The Lucky Ones Were the First to Die. Which, I don't know. I think being set, being set on fire alive is pretty nasty as far as post-apocalyptic hellscapes go this was one of the oh. better ones i would think to live in you know my favorite of the three taglines a heavy metal journey into an urban hell where everything was done wrong <laughs> and there's not a second of heavy metal in the whole movie yeah no i, I mean, mean i mean okay the writers are kind of metal 
but like the most we they're get some synthesizer metal. music and the, some jazz yeah. drums. Yeah, they're they're glam metal. They're not real. Yes. They're not like heavy metal. Yes, these guys were were totally T Rex. Hang <laughs> a gun. Nothing wrong with that. I love me some T Rex. Yeah. But I bet you I could beat him in a fight. Well, I definitely could now, for sure. Oh yeah, I'd have to yeah, dig I him know. up. But <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, none of these guys look really tough. No. For 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 a badass, Trash looks like he wandered off the set of uh, auditions for Grease. But. George Miller got it right. He figured like mm -hmm. you would have some weak people, weaker looking people, but you, like a lot of the people that would survive would be, you know, gigundus. It would be like prison. Yeah. You know, you would have like the, you know, you would have a, a whole group of just bodybuilder style muscle. You know, mm -hmm. but that didn't seem. That you know, we were still we were still in that seven. The, the, you know, this was in the early part of the '80s where there was still some '70s trickling in, to where yeah. you know, like, uh, uh, like a real like, like the the guy who was presented as mm -hmm. an unstoppable badass in this movie was Vic Morrow, who's yeah, a, who's an older swarthy guy. With like a grandpa head, he's got my grandpa and my mother's side uh, hair on his thinning hair mm -hmm. on his head, and you know he's older and tougher. But he's like he's presented as like the big threat. Like you, well, he's the old wolf. Yes, but he's you just know, you know he's one of those kind of he's got the gut swarthy sort of guy, mm -hmm. not what you would expect how he would be portrayed these days. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think who would, if this film was made, remade today. Besides the fact that it would suck. Um, I'm trying to imagine who would play Hammer. Like I would have like a Stallone type of an yeah. aging act, you know, or, or a Schwarzenegger, you mm -hmm. know, type. Well, of... not Schwar Stallone. I can almost kind of see because he, he's very East Coast. Yes, and he's got a cop look to him yeah. too. Oh Jesus! And then when the end, when they dress him up in his Italian, <laughs> Italian cop <laughs> uniform. Oh yeah, the the the, the, le the cop leathers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you could tell an Italian made the movie. It's like, oh, the cops are coming. They better put their leather on. And it's like, yeah, yeah. we're not in Italy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, the, that was pretty much what happened in uh, Danger Di Diabolic. Diabolic, yes. And I and I'm I'm I I'm I failed I failed our listeners. I I forgot when we posted that that phase one. Mm -hmm. I had I had found and I totally forgotten about it. I remembered when the video came out, but I hadn't seen the movie at that time. But the Beastie yeah. Boys did that did a video. Body moving. Yes, yes. Done by Spike Jones. Yes. Yes, and uh, and I ran across that like when we were making when we were when we were doing that show. I ran across it and I made a mental note to mm -hmm. post that, and I never did. On the Anchor Bay edition of Danger Diabolic, which was done in the aughts, they have I think it's Mike D talking about 
why they wanted to do that that video and that you see the video so uh, why wouldn't you want to do that video that must have been a riot to recreate all to, to, to do that you know yeah this is this film is bug fuck Yes, and I found out there's a sequel that I hear is even more bug fuck. So I know the poster. I, then I saw the poster for the sequel, and I was just like, "Oh my god, that poster is is selling way more than this movie could ever hope to deliver." It was like an <laughs> Irwin. It looked like an Irwin Allen disaster movie scale poster. It was great. Well, it, it escape from the Bronx, which I, I love the fact they don't even bother. Um, trying to hide that they're they're ripping off Escape from New York. Yeah, I don't know how you're gonna do that. <laughs> what was the third um, movie called? The third movie, apparently, I'm looking at a picture of the uh, the Bronx Warrior trilogy, and the third film is called The New Barbarians. Oh. I think we are coming back this this version of 1990 whether we do i i'm definitely going to because <laughs> we're going back it, 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 that this movie gave me everything i want from this kind of movie you know it was perfect in its its cheesiness mm-hmm. it, and and it's one of, and like there's lots of bad movies like this that get boring this never gets boring yeah. for a second you know if 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 it's not something that you're just laughing at, it's, mm-hmm. it's nice colors and and just moving I mean, action. Somebody spent a very long time doing that graffiti. Yes. Because that graffiti covers every single inch of that hideout. And but if you want more incentive for Escape from the Bronx, our old friend Henry Silver is in it playing a character called Floyd Wrangler. Ah, that's a great name. Oh my god, I want to be Floyd Wrangler. (laughs) And Antonio Sabato Sr. is playing a character called Toblerone. I I I worked with these with with uh, these two kids. Um, Mm. one of them's seventeen, one of them's nineteen. Okay, one of them's named Ernest Ringo, and the other one's named Demetheus Ringo. And they're both so embarrassed, but they were both like, uh, Demetheus is just like, just call me D, and, you know, and the other one's like, just call me Junior. I'm like, are you guys kidding me? You guys have one <laughs> of the most epic, na- you guys have two of the epic, na- your brothers, you're the Ringo brothers. For one, you have the names of, like, cowboy outlaws, you know, from the, from the 18 aughts, you know, just like, you don't want to mess with them Ringo brothers. And I'm just, I just I was, I was so frustrated with them. I'm just like, you guys gotta embrace those names. Those are. I'm a big Beatles fan too, so I would yeah die to be have my last name be Ringo. But people don't people with weird names don't appreciate their weird names. They gotta you gotta embrace them. Stop stop hiding your weird na- your your epic awesome names. Well, let me. I'm just I'm just looking up the new barbarians while we're. Uh... Which is called uh, Warrior of the Warriors of the Wasteland. Also, oh, that sounds more familiar to me. Although I don't see any, I don't see any trash in this film. It, 
I, don't I, I may have seen Warriors of the Wasteland when I was. Okay, that might have been an eighty. That might have been one of our eighties video store finds. That sounds very familiar to me. But but Fred Williamson comes back playing a character called Nadir. Oh. He must have had fun on the first one. I saw an interview with Fred Williamson about <laughs> 1990 Bronx Warriors, and it was like 40 minutes long. So if he had 40 minutes of stuff to say about the movie, he must have he must have enjoyed himself. You know, he must have been into it. Yeah. Well, my favorite Fred Williamson story is still uh, regards him and Larry Cohen. Um, Williamson once gave an interview for Shock Cinema. The uh, the psychotronic the, the not shock cinema the I think it was the psychotronic guide which was the magazine that came mm-hmm. uh, was my, it the well, fan, it wasn't the Phantoms guide it was oh it was psychotronic it was it was psychotronic it was, I think it was just called the psychotronic psychotronic magazine I think yes it was yes and Fred Williamson gave this interview to Michael Weldon where he said everything I learned about filmmaking I learned from Larry Cohen the next issue of Psychotronic Magazine there is an interview with Larry Cohen where Larry Cohen says I wish Fred Williamson would stop saying that (laughs) why (laughs) that's the thing is there's there's somebody like Larry Cohen or Bob Clark are probably some of the best people to learn about making films from Mm -hmm. because when you're working on that level of film you really have to you really have to have your shit together to you know and and a lot of these movies that are like considered bad movies are low budget and like they're actually miraculous that they got it to look that good for the money you know mm-hmm. so you 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 really learn to maximize your resources and to to improvise when you run into trouble and stuff so working on movies like that, I think, is probably more you're you're gonna pick up like the raw, pragmatic, realistic reality of making a film more than say if you were like I was on a film with Scorsese, you would get mm-hmm. to watch the you know the finer points of like working with actors and working with his cinematographer and stuff like that, you know. But you're you know that that stuff's on a, on a different tier and it's more mm-hmm. theoretical whereas you know you're, you're you're working on the movie demon lover and you know you you come out of the trial by fire at the end of it well we're definitely coming back to um obviously to italy again many times we have yet to see, we've, i've yet to show you a giallo i've yet to show you a spaghetti western Oh, I can't wait to get to a spaghetti western. It's been so long since I I've know watched which one any I western. I, I have to, I have to, I have to look to make sure that it's available for you. But I know which one I want to give you. It's one of my favorite films. Mm. Period. I but, love spaghetti westerns. Uh, and I'm definitely giving you at some point Hands of Steel. <laughs> Ooh, that's one that I've been hearing about for a long time. And and Screamers, also known as Island of the Fishmen. I haven't heard. Heard that that sounds <laughs> you it's it sounds like um like a pharmacist or something island of the fishmen island of the fishmen fishmen this is my pharmacy the thing about scree about island of the fishmen which is renamed screamers for its american release 
that is very distinctive is that it, it, it's an adventure film with Barbara Bach. Oh, is it a Lovecraft? It's like they're, they're, they're fishmen. But the thing is, you know, and it's like at one point she's like breastfeeding one, which is just weird. And uh, when they released it in the States, and you can look this up, you can like Google mine Island of the Fishmen or, or, or Screamers 1979, and you will see the posters. They repeat, they repeat the, the promise that you will see a man turn inside out, not once, but twice on the posters. <laughs> <laughs> now, does that mean they say it twice or they say you're going to see someone turned inside out? Not once, but twice. No, no, <laughs> <Okay>. no, twice. <laughs> it's it, it, that the phrase, you will see a man turn inside out, is on the poster twice. Okay. <laughs> and the, the thing is, of course, I, that just spoilers, there are no men being turned inside out Aww. in the film. So, see, I thought um, they could cheat on that by at least having, you know, some some girl break his heart or something. It'd be like, yeah, it, it turned him inside out. I don't know. Um, but I'm thinking that for, I, I I think that we have to go and move on to one of the other great countries for next time. Ooh, one of the other great countries. It's of the not America. Have, that's not America. Or we'll get back to it. I don't know if I'm we're, comfortable with we're, that. We're a little bit on the. You will like it. Don't make me sh make Virginia show you how he, she knows how to use her whip, just like I told <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if a whip can get through my leather Frankenfurter suit. <laughs> well, if her the if the whip won't get through, her Lee Death on nails will. So where are we going? I, I guess I'm gonna. Do I have We're, to go over water? Um. Well, we're going to Hong Kong. Oh, I like we're Hong Kong. Hong Kong in the 80s, but it's it's a period piece. It was a film that Jackie Chan made as a favor to the director because the director was in deep to the triads. It is an absolutely bonkers men on a mission film set during World War II, but featuring cameos by James Bond and Rocky. By the characters James Bond? By the characters James Bond and Rocky. Ooh. You'll see. And it's called Fantasy Mission Force. So is there like a group of people in like Rocky? Is, is this like choose your fantasy mission force? And you'll do we have so, a group you'll with see. Rocky you'll, and James Bond and Jackie you'll Chan? See. You'll see. Uh, but it is, I, I can tell you, it is a men on a mission film. Where you know it's like there's there's a mission, and we got to get some special men to do the mission. Oh. Uh, but it's it's absolutely bonkers. Well, I'm and, a huge and, Jackie Chan fan. Well, I should not say that because. I'm... Well, this is the Jackie Chan from before we he became the Jackie Chan. Before he became in America. Yeah, before before the super cop. Yeah. Um, Mission uh, Project Mission A, um, City Hunter, before all of that stuff. This was Jackie Chan when he was a little bit more of a day player, and he was being groomed as like the next Bruce Lee. Right, right. So it was more like maybe like in the time period of like Drunken Master One or something like yeah. that. 
Yeah. But it is, I swear to you, it's absolutely bonkers. It's insane. So that that is your assignment for next. And then the reason why I wanted to take the holidays off, after that, you're going to Sweden. Ooh, I like that. Sound of that. Uh, you might not like it once you see Thriller, a cruel picture. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds like a also known movie. as Also known as... They call her One Eye. I was gonna say it sounded like a snuff movie with starring Michael Jackson. <laughs> it's Michael Jackson torture there is, porn. There is 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 a scene in Thriller: A Cruel Picture, which and I know that you've sat through a Serbian film. I know you've sat through a lot of rough stuff, but this there's a scene in it that's that's pretty disgusting. All right. Pretty damn disgusting. But that's why that's why you're not going to see that film until 2019. <laughs> I'm being merciful here. I'm allowing you to have a happy Christmas. And, and intact holidays. <laughs> Thank you. And intact holidays so you don't have to be traumatized by scenes featuring an actual corpse. Oh. Whoa. Yes. So... No, I'm Go really interested. Get your eggnog on and get out of here! Visit our website at two truefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.